was thinking the other day about Christmas's past and um, thinking when I was, I think I was about six years old, and I had, um, I had a train set, an old Lionel train set. I don't know if anybody ever had one of these with the old track that was actually electrified and, you know, I like could majorly like kill pets and stuff. And so I had one of these when I was a kid. It was a great toy. And um, we used to always set it up around the Christmas tree at Christmas time. And so when I was six, I wanted, all I had was just a little bit of oval track and, and this and, a, and one car. And so I wanted some more cars and some more track. And so my parents said, you know, what do you, what do you want Santa to bring you this year for Christmas? And I said, well, tell Santa I'd like, you know, some more track and and some more cars. So now let me just say this. I, you know, I tried to tell this story so delicately in the last service, and I, I'm afraid like it was lost on everybody, okay? But, so I'm going to be really careful how I walk through my story here, all right? But hang with me. So anyways, I went to, you know, we would always go to my grandparents' house on Christmas Eve, and um, we'd hang out there and have some tamales and stuff, group in L.A., that's what you did. And then I came home, and I think, you know, probably went to bed around 10, 30, 11 o'clock. I don't know exactly what time it was, but it was around 11 o'clock. Now, the house I grew up in, in in LA, it kind of had this typical setup where there was a, a living room with the bedrooms kind of around the living room, and there was a hallway that separated it, but it was this, you know, there was a wall only about so high, and then some posts that went along, and so I heard all this ruckus going on. I think it was about 11, 11, 15 out in the living room, and I thought, boy, you know, well, I wonder what all that's about, so I kind of opened the door and peeked out, and what I saw was absolutely stunning to me. I looked, and below the Christmas tree was my dad, with my train and a box full of new track and cars. And he was setting it up and he was playing with it. So now I'm I'm watching my dad. I'm watching him play with my track. I'm watching all this go on. And it was like my head was going to explode because my whole worldview paradigm was being changed at that very moment. I went in my room. I closed the door. I laid on my bed and stared at the ceiling. And I was just trying to soak in the ramifications of what I had just Scene that, as you can imagine, for a six year old, rocked my world. The one thing that I was wrestling with that night as I was looking at the ceiling was, and this was shocking to me, how did Santa get to my house before midnight? I just could not figure that out because it wasn't midnight yet. And so he was, my gift was there. And my second question was, why was my dad playing with my gift under the tree? And the next morning I had another thing that really threw me for a loop because I got up early, went out, played with my stuff. When my dad came out, he looked surprised like he'd never seen any of this before. <laughs> it really, really got me to thinking, thank you. It's, glad, it's good to know you're with me. So... <laughs> Um, I walked through that one carefully. So, here, so here's the deal. Here's the reason I bring it up. At six years old, I began to kind of realize something that I think most of us have experienced in our life, and that is that we have this deep desire as human beings, this insatiable desire to make sense out of life, you know, to, to connect the dots that when things happen in our life, we can know why those things happen. And we can imagine if, if this were to represent our life and all this stuff is the thing that happens in our life, we kind of want to know where everything goes and we want to know where to put it and, and, and why it goes there. So many of us, we think of life kind of like this. Well, I'm going I'm to go to school and then I'm going to graduate and I'm going to meet someone and we're going to fall in love. We're going to get married. I'm going to get a job. Uh, we're going to get a house and we'll have some kids and a dog and who knows if we're desperate a cat, but we'll kind of do some of that stuff. And then I know, I kind of know how each, each thing fits into my story. I know that and I feel good about it. And that's just human nature. 
Our, our nature is, is, is to want to understand everything that happens in our life. And so that's why, for instance, um, we have a lot of phrases in our language um, that reflect this. Like, everything happens for a reason. So you ever hear that? Anyone ever say that to you? Something goes wrong and somebody says, well, don't worry about it because everything happens for a reason. Now, I always find that interesting when people tell me that, especially people who don't believe in God or don't believe in providence or don't believe in some higher power. They just say it. They don't believe it but they just say it. Why do they say it? I just think it's human nature. It's part of our, our DNA. Or people say there's no such thing as coincidence. Uh, you know, you didn't just show up when she showed up. You didn't just happen to be there when that happened. There's no such thing as coincidence. Or I guess it just wasn't meant to be, right? It wasn't your fault. It wasn't her fault. There's just a great meant to be here in the sky, and it, it wasn't meant to be. And, or, or maybe this one. It'll all work out. You ever hear that? Anyone ever tell you when something's going wrong? It'll all work out. And I want to say like, why or how or how do you know that? But that's just, that's part of the human nature. And where this really comes into play is when we hit kind of the big bumps in in life's road. Like when stuff happens that wasn't part of our plan and stuff happens that we didn't want to happen. Like I planned on getting married. I did not plan on divorce. And then we want to know why did that happen? And, you know, I don't understand how that fits in to, to, to my life, to my story. Or maybe it's your career. Maybe you had the career you wanted. You, you were the model employee. You had, the, you know, they had a picture of you and, and you had your own parking space. Or maybe you owned the business. And then suddenly you're one of those people looking for a job and you want to know why. Why did that happen? Or maybe it's your health. Maybe your, your plan was, I'm going to be absolutely 100% healthy until the day I drop dead. That's just the way it's going to work. And then something happened. Something developed. Maybe like for me, back in the spring, I started losing feeling in my hands and my feet. And you know, when that happens, you want to know why. Why is this happening? Because this doesn't really fit in to my story the way I thought. How does it fit into my story? See, here's the one thing we don't say to people we care about when they're dealing with circumstances that are difficult. We don't say to people, what are you so upset about? That's life, you know? We don't say that because, I mean, I, I, I was listening to some, to some speeches and some stuff the last few weeks with, in regards to the Sandy Hook Elementary memorials, and I never heard anyone say anything remotely like that. Why is that? Because as humans, we, we want to find purpose in every part of our life. Now, it, that's not true of, of all of, of creation. Like, I have a, I have a cat, and um, some people find that shocking, but I have a cat, and my cat's name is Cookie, and this is, this is a great, to me, this is a perfect picture. It represents everything my cat is about. One day, she wants to go outside because the sun is shining, so I open the sliding glass door. She gets halfway out, and the sun hits her, and she just drops, drops, and goes to sleep. You could hear her snoring. She's out. I can't close the door, and so this is the life of my cat. You know, she gets up in the morning, she eats a few crunchies, she goes outside, comes in, drinks out of the toilet, hacks up a hairball, goes back outside, I don't think there's any, anything in my cat's life where I don't think she ever sits back on the couch one night and says, I wonder why I hacked up that hairball today. I wonder why, you know, I, I didn't catch that bird today. I don't think she cares about that stuff or thinks about that stuff, how it fits into her story. But as human beings, we do. That stuff matters to us. It matters, Christians will say, because every one of us have been created in the image of God. That's what the Bible says. And that our God is a purposeful God who is involved in history, and he's a God who brings order out of chaos and, and brings design into things that seem random at times. And this, this thing in you that wants to connect the dots and understand all the things that happen to you, I believe that's a reflection of the image of God in you. In fact, so much so that for some of you, um, that's how you came to faith. Uh, maybe you were cruising through life. Maybe things were going well. Maybe they weren't had a marriage, had some kids. Maybe you're like me. I was in high school, had a pretty good life. 
But every time I would go through something, I'd keep asking myself, where does this fit into my life? And where does my story fit into the grand story? And I believe that God has put that on our hearts to ask those questions, to understand that there's more to life than just our life and our story. That God is a God of purpose and a God of order. And and he does connect the dots, even if we don't see it at the time. And all of this collides with the Christmas story because Christmas is this time in which God intervenes in human history in a very physical way. When Jesus comes down and takes the, the form of a man because he wants to teach us something about himself. In fact, uh, a passage that we're going to look at today, this is from the book of Luke, chapter 1, verse 26, and I love the way that uh, Luke puts this. He says, now in the sixth month. So I love that it starts with the word now. He's just saying things have been this way, but now something is about to happen. Now God is coming down to earth. Now in the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. Our story, God's story, we're going to talk about that this morning. But I want to invite you right now, will you stand with me as we continue to sing about that? So, you know, preaching at Christmas, well, it's kind of a lot like Easter. It can be really challenging for a teacher. Uh, This is, I think, the 20th time that I've done this, and so I've kind of been through it a few times. And one of the challenges, of course, is that, you know, many of you have heard the story a lot of times, too, and you know the story, and you know how it goes and how it ends and all the details and the Greek and the Hebrew and all that stuff and each of the characters. And so what I try to do each year as we get close to Christmas is just to start reading the biblical account and um, just meditating on it, kind of living in it, if that makes sense, kind of soaking it in for a while. And, you know, some years, and this is one of those years, I, I read the story, and the story is so profound. This, the, it's just so deep. Sometimes I think, you know, on Christmas, we should just read the story like Jim did and then just, you know, shut up and leave it at that. Uh, I'm not going to, actually. I'm going to talk for a while. But, uh, but today I want to look at just a little piece of that story, just a section from the book of Luke. And if you have your Bibles, you might open to the book of Luke. Uh, I'll have it on the screen for you as well. But I want to give you a little history because uh, sometimes we just dive right into the story in verse 26 and we miss kind of the underpinnings of the story. Now, the, the book of Luke was written uh, by a guy named, oddly enough, Luke, uh, in the first century. Uh, Luke was a physician. He was a historian. He was a researcher. Um, and he had heard about Jesus Christ. We don't know that Luke ever met him, um, but he had heard about him. And so Luke began to research the life of Jesus Christ. And he did that by interviewing people that knew Jesus firsthand. We know he interviewed, he would have interviewed Peter and John and um, Jesus' mother, Mary, uh, for sure. And then he, he put all this together into a story. We call it the Gospel of Luke, but it's really just a research paper, if you will, on Luke's account so that future generations would know about Jesus Christ. In, in verse 1 of this book, in fact, it starts this way. Luke says, Now many people have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. So Luke says, I'm not the only one to research and write on this. There are other writings as well. Just as they were handed down to us by those who uh, from the first, that is the, the first uh, beginning of Jesus' life, were eyewitnesses and servants 
of the word. And therefore, since I myself have, have carefully investigated, right? So this isn't just something he came up with. He, in, he investigated everything from the beginning and it seemed good also to me to write an, an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. We don't know who Theophilus was, a friend of Luke's, and some theories are that Theophilus actually had heard about Jesus, had been taught some things, and was wondering, is this stuff really true? So he knew Luke was a great historian and hired Luke to research this stuff for him, and now this is his report. To Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty, right, the, the absolute certainty of the things that you've been taught about Jesus Christ. So this is not a once upon a time story or a fairy tale. This is Luke's gospel, which is a result of an investigation and of interviewing eyewitnesses. Now, little ways later in chapter one, he gets to the story that we're familiar with. He says, now, now in the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. So I love this, the whole idea that God is, has, has been working in history, has been doing something in history, but now God is doing something else. God is doing something different, something new, if you will. And so he sends an angel, he dispatches an angel to get the ball rolling here. And this angel was sent to a virgin who was, who was pledged, or some of your Bibles may say betrothed, to be married to a man named Joseph, a, a descendant of David. And the virgin's name, and I love the fact that he didn't give it yet, he's waiting, he's waiting, and the virgin's name is, 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 you probably heard it, it's Mary. Now, Luke has no idea <laughs> when, he's, when he's researching, when he's writing, he has no idea the ramifications that this story is going to have uh, uh, on how lives are going to be absolutely radically transformed and turned upside down because of this story, how, how the course of nations and, and human history is going to be altered because of this story, how churches and hospitals and schools and, and, and clinics uh, are going to be built all over the world because of this story, that wars will be fought and books will be written and, and people will actually give their lives to get this story out of the first century and out of Jerusalem so that it can spread all over the world and that people will give their lives to translating this book into, into other languages. Luke doesn't know this stuff. He doesn't know that, that this is going to happen. He just has a story and it has to be told. Now, the story involves several characters. It involves someone named Mary. What do we know about Mary? Well, not a lot, but, but what we know historically is if she's be, engaged, if she's betrothed, she's likely between the ages of 12 and 16. Now, just let that sink in for a minute if you've got a 12 to 16-year-old daughter. Back then, that was commonly when, it, when a young woman got engaged or, or betrothed, and, and she could be married as early as the age of, of 13. And so here's this, this young girl, and her life has likely been planned out for her up to this point. Her marriage was probably arranged. It's possible that she's never even met Joseph up to this point. Um, she would live wherever she was told to live, and, and, you know, on the wedding day, it might be, hey, Mary, here's Joseph. Joseph, here's Mary. Yeah, you know, get a good look at each other, um, and, you know, hope, hope you guys learn to love each other because this is your life. This is, this is your marriage. And maybe they'd have kids and, and, and grow up old enough to be able to have grandkids of their own. And, and it says she lived in Nazareth. Now, Nazareth was very small. I live in Washougal. I think Washougal's small because I'm from LA. But Nazareth was like, you know, there was a few hundred people max lived in that town at the time. It wasn't the place she wanted to live. It was a place she passed, passed through uh, to someplace important. But that was Mary. 
Mary probably just seemed like a, a, a random person, another person living in a, in a no-name town in a non-important period of history. And, and she's uh, betrothed, she's, she's pledged to a young man named Joseph again. Could have been anywhere between the ages of 12 to 16. Just a young man, a carpenter, he's poor, and it says that they're, they're pledged or, or, or betrothed. Now, a, a betrothal basically began when, when two sets of parents would um, get together and sign a contract. It was very romantic, and, and, you know, some money might be exchanged, and the contract would be signed. The kids aren't even involved. They, like, have no say in this at all, and the contract would be signed, and then, and then the betrothal would, would last for about a year, and during that time, it was legally binding. So in order to uh, annul it, it would require a divorce. But the couple are not living together during this time. They have no physical contact during this time. They may not even see each other at all during this time. So Mary is betrothed. She's, she's probably planning out her wedding and picking the cake and the bridesmaids' dresses and all those things and planning her new life. She's probably very excited. And in the middle of all this, an angel comes to her from God with a message. And the angel went to her and the angel said, greetings you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Now, I've never seen an angel that I know of, but most of the time in the Bible, when an angel appears, the first thing they do is they say, you know, chill out. Okay, peace. Because apparently they're like big, kind of scary looking creatures. And so the angel says, hey, don't worry. You know, and Mary was greatly troubled at his word. So she sees this angel and she's like, I wonder what kind of angel this is. You know, does he have like a sickle in his hand? Does he have a box of chocolates? I'm not sure. So he says, you know, don't, she's greatly troubled at the words and she wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now, I love that, that, that little word, favor. In the Greek, it's the word that we get the English word grace from. And this could have easily, he could have said here, you know, Mary, you have, you have been given grace from God. That word grace, is, it means that unmerited or unearned gift that someone gives someone else. And, and, and I love the fact that it's used here because if there's one word that just describes the gospel, it's the word grace, that God loves to give to people what they cannot earn on their own. Well, the angel goes on and gives her some details. He says, well, and it's a lot to take in here. She's probably taking notes. You will be with child. Now, she understood that to mean immediately. You will be with child, and you will give birth, and it will be a son. Are you taking notes here, Mary? You're going to have a son. And by the way, we already talked about it in heaven, and we gave him the name, so you don't need a baby book. His name will be Jesus. And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of, of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will never end. So, you know, I'm just thinking as I imagine maybe a 13-year-old girl hearing this from an angel. And I think today, you know, like, you know, maybe you're hearing you're a 13-year-old girl and your parents don't even trust you like with a, with a cell phone and the government won't let you drive a car or vote. But God comes down to this middle school girl and says, you know what, I'm going to give you the honor of, of being the mother of, of my son. I have a daughter who just turned 15 yesterday, and I've kind of been thinking a lot about this the last few weeks, and I'll kind of watch her get up in the morning and get ready for school and go through her day, and I just, you know, thinking to myself, it could have been somebody her age. It could have been somebody a lot like her. 
This is flesh and, and blood kind of stuff. This is a story of something that actually happened and it involved a real young woman. But, but Mary is kind of concerned. She's kind of worried about something, right? And she says to the angel, you know, how will this be? Now, I know I'm just in middle school, but I did take Health 101 and I do know a few things and um, I'm a virgin, you know? So she's like telling the angel, I know you're an angel and I'm a human and you may not know how this stuff works, but it doesn't work this way. And uh, the angel says to her, well, God's going to work a miracle and the Holy Spirit will come upon you and, and he will work a miracle and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And, and then he says this, I, now listen to this, this is great. So the Holy One born to you, this is astounding, the Holy One born to you will be called the, the what? The Son of God. Now, all right, how, how many of you, before you came to church today, um, when you hear the phrase son of God, you've, you associate it with the name Jesus. How many before you came here today, you'd be like, oh yeah, Jesus, son of God, heard that, know that. See, that, that's exactly what the angel said was going to happen. The angel was saying that 2,000 years later, right, the, the, this no-name girl from a, a, a backwater town in a, in a period of history when nobody cares that she's going to have a baby and the baby's name is going to be Jesus and we're going to call him Jesus, son of God. And 2,000 years later, people gather and when they hear that, it won't surprise them at all. But it must have been absolutely shocking to Mary to think about. Now, we kind of call this the incarnation. Uh, incarnation comes from a Latin word that means in flesh. And when we use the word incarnation, we're referring to a, a doctrine. A doctrine that God, who is spirit, not bound by space or bound by time, but God, who is spirit, took upon himself human flesh. And he, he came down as a human being. And he was born of a woman, born of a virgin. And, and he took on the name Jesus Christ. And, and this is huge. In fact, um, I never really watched Larry King on CNN. Maybe some of you did. But one time Larry King was asked, if you could interview anyone in the history of the world, one person, who would you interview? And Larry King said, I would interview Jesus Christ. And when asked, if you could ask Jesus one question, what would you ask him? He said, I would ask him if he was in fact virgin born. Because the answer to that question would define history for me. Now, I don't know a lot about Larry King, but I think he got this one right. Because if Jesus, in fact, was born of a virgin, if he was God in the flesh, then we should kind of stand up and take notice of that. That's why Luke wrote this story down for us. And the angel goes on and says, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. It's a whole nother story altogether. And she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month. And then he says this, and, and these are huge words. He says to Mary, he says, for nothing... Absolutely nothing is impossible with God. Now, you have to understand that the angel is saying this to a, a young, powerless um, young woman, 13, 14 years old, who is a, a, a Jew, who lives in a nation that has um, not been autonomous or sovereign for over 500 years. They have been the captives of, of other nations. They had this great rich heritage that went back to, to people like Solomon and, and to David and great kings, but those days are, are long gone. 
And now they're in subjection to other nations. There was a, a time 500 years earlier when, when the Babylonian Empire rose to world domination and they conquered the Jewish nation. And, and everyone thought, man, the Babylonian Empire, they, are, they will never fail. They're too big to fail. And then along came the Persian Empire and they were even more powerful. And they rose up and crushed the Babylonians and, and they lasted for almost 400 years. And again, people thought, well, that kingdom will last forever. That kingdom will never come to an end. And then came along Alexander the Great and, and, and the Greeks, and they ruled for a time. And again, everyone thought, they're too smart, they're too wise, they'll never fail. And then the kingdom was divided, and, and, and then Rome rose up. And, and now this is a period in history where everyone's like, well, Rome is it. Rome is too big, they will, they will never fail. That kingdom will last forever. And then God shows up to this, to this young girl, and he says, I want to let you in on a little secret, man. Rome is nothing. Rome is done because I have an agenda. And I know people get armies and, and people have their plans, but it's nothing, God says, because nothing is impossible with God. And God says, I'm going to raise up my son. And this is my agenda, and he's going to have a kingdom. You know, kingdoms, and you can see the kingdoms geographically, and they have borders. His kingdom's going to be huge and way beyond that. No geographical borders, no time borders, and this is going to go on and on and on and on. And then the angel went away and Mary's life went back to normal, kind of, actually not normal at all because things got complicated for Mary. I mean, now here she is the next day and she's like, that was super cool. You know, it was on an angel and I had God favors me and now, oh, wait a minute, I'm pregnant, you know, I'm 13, um, I'm not married. Let's see, how's that going to go over in a small town? And she was probably thinking that next morning, oh, angel, could you possibly come back for just 10 minutes and tell my mom and my dad and my youth pastor what you told me? Because they're never going to believe me. And, and she's got to live with that. And, and, and we know there was whispers and, and judging and wonder who the dad is. And, and there was rejection, so much so that even later when Jesus was doing his ministry, people would still bring it up like, hey, who's your dad, Jesus? And then Caesar Augustus decrees that a census needs to be taken. And because Mary's going through all of this, Joseph decides um, to, to take her and, and to have her be his wife, but to keep her a virgin during that time because of all the ridicule that she's going under. He loves her very much. But they have to go to Joseph's hometown of Bethlehem to register. And so you know, Joseph goes to Mary and says, I kind of got some bad news. I know you're eight, nine months pregnant, but we got to take a little trip to Bethlehem. It's about 120 miles away. And I know it's too far for you to walk. So I got a donkey. I know it's probably not that comfortable, but it does have, you know, a seat warmer and, you know, it's leather and, you know, the whole thing, right? So she's got to take the donkey and they get there and it's apparently kind of like Washougal. There's just a Best Western and that's all there is and it's completely booked up. And so, you know, the guy's like, well, there's some animals down by the boat dock, you know, and I guess you could go down there. And so they go down there and I imagine as she's getting ready to give birth in the stable where there's animals, again, probably thinking like, you know, Angel, you could have told me some of this stuff. You could have filled in some of the details Miss favorite of God would like a, a room, you know? And I kind of wonder how she must have felt. Like, was there any confusion? And where was God? He hadn't showed up lately. And, and where's the angel? She, she, she hadn't heard from him lately. And it must have kind of felt like chaos to Mary. She has to give birth in a stable where animals live. You know, I'm sorry, but there's just not enough Purell in the world for that. And there's no, there's like no bed. There's no epidural. There's no midwife there with her. And, and then, you know, after she gives birth, She's like, again, I wonder where God is. I wonder where the angels are. And then these shepherds show up. 
And they're like, oh, you know, they're like telling her it was so awesome. We were out in the fields and then this angel came and, and he gave us an announcement. And then the, all these angels came and they sang this chorus. It was really sweet. And so we came to look at the child. And again, I kind of imagine almost Mary would be like, gee, I wonder why the angel won't come talk to me. Because he knows I have issues, you know. Uh, where's, the, where's, the, where, where's the angel? And then wise men show up from the east. And then you know the story. Herod, who's a political leader in the region. He's, he's politically insecure. He's paranoid. And he hears this rumor that a king of the Jews has been born. He's so concerned about his position that he orders his soldiers to kill every baby boy two years and younger. And so there's this terrible, terrible situation taking place. And, and Mary and Joseph have been warned, and so they fled to Egypt, and now they're separated from their, from their family and their support group. Eventually, they, they, they come back to the area, and as Mary's son grows up, I would imagine she experienced a lot of, a lot of different feelings. At the age of roughly 30, Jesus packs his bag and says, Mom, I'm going to leave now. I know some of you are hoping your kids will leave earlier than that, but he's, he's like 30. He's like, mom, I'm going to hit the road. And, and I'm sure that was probably difficult for her to watch her son leave. And pretty soon she's hearing stories. You know, Jesus walked into a town and healed a guy. He, ra- he rose somebody from the dead. And eventually she packs the first stuff and she begins to follow her son as well. And she hears these words coming out of his mouth. And she knows, man, these are not the words of a mere man. These are the words of the Son of God, and she, she gets to see him loving people and changing lives, but eventually she sees some other things too. She sees people who begin to reject her son, and eventually she sees her son arrested, and she sees him beaten to within an inch of his life, and she's watching this. She watches her firstborn on, on all the, uh, the gore, the crown of thorns. She sees him marched up a hill and nailed to a cross, and she watches him up there humiliated, See, Mary doesn't know. She doesn't know what's going on. She doesn't know God's plan for this. All of this stuff is going on and she's watching her son die. And yeah, you know, we kind of romanticize it because we know how, how it ends. We know that he ro- rose from the dead, but she has to stand there and she's, she's watching it. You know, Miss Highly Favored of God, Miss the Lord is with you and whose son will have a kingdom that will never end. And it must have looked to her at that moment like God had lost control. She probably was looking at her life and going, you know, God, I just don't know how this fits into my life at all. It doesn't make sense. Of course, the irony was that God was very, very much active and working and and powerful. You see, we know in hindsight that, that God sent his son into the world to do an extraordinary, unbelievable thing that no one saw coming. The Bible says that although God created us in his image, and although God's you know, fingerprints are, are all over us, and, and, and that's why, for instance, we yearn for things like eternity. Unfortunately, the Bible also says that all we, like sheep, have gone astray. That every one of us have sinned. That we were given life and, and love and talents and time and abilities from God and relationships. But the Bible says we have all taken those things and gone our own way. We turned our back on God. And that's just the basic definition of sin. It's to take what God has given us and instead of following God with those things, we go our own route. We do our own thing. We decide we're going to be our own boss. And that, that sin has separated us from our God. See, to become children of God, we need to place our faith in God's Son, in Jesus Christ, and what he did for us when he went to the cross, when, when he took our place there. 
In John 3.16, it tells us, and you probably know this verse, but it's a great verse to kind of summarize what this is all about. Why did Jesus come? Well, it tells us, for God so loved the world, he loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son, even though, even though we had walked away from God. It says God came towards us. God kind of chased us. And his son came down to this earth to be with us. Notice why he came down. He came down so that everyone who believes in him, and that, that word believe in the Greek, it, it means to trust. So everyone who will trust in Jesus will not perish, but have eternal life. What he means is this, that for everyone who will stop trying to be good enough, trying to work their way to heaven, trying through ritual to to, to be right with God, for those who will just lay that down and give that up and trust in the work of Jesus, it says that we can have a brand new life. And there's a lot of ramifications that happen, a lot of things that happen in our life when we trust in Jesus. But about 25 years after this was written, a guy named Paul wrote about one of the ramifications of faith in Jesus. In Romans 8, 28, he said this, here's one of the things that happens when you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we know, he says, that for those who love God, so he's, he's speaking to believers here, to people who pl- place their faith in Christ. And we know that for those who love God, watch this, he causes everything to work together for good. It doesn't say he causes everything. We live in a world where there is evil and people make evil choices. But it says that God has the ability and the power to work everything out, ultimately, for the good of those who love God, for the good of those who have been called according to his purpose. So he just says that when you know Jesus, this just happens every day in our world. For some people, they wake up in the morning with one agenda, with one set of plans, but get handed another. And that happens to all of us from time to time. Maybe someone, you know, went to the mall and planned on doing some shopping and something else happened. Maybe it's a child or a teacher who went to school and had a plan for that day, but they got handed another set of plans. You know, it could be someone going to to, to the doctor for a routine appointment and having a discussion with their doctor that they hoped they would never have to have. Or maybe it's just having a conversation with a loved one and hearing them say things that you hope they would never say. We all have those bumps in the road at times. But for those who love God, It says that God is is active in the lives of his children and he can transform those things and make something beautiful out of them and begin to connect the dots of the activities in our life. So the angel delivers this message to Mary and and, and the angel left out a lot of details. You know, she didn't know about the donkey ride or the manger or Herod or the crucifixion or the resurrection. She didn't know that 2,000 years later, Christians would gather together and they would worship Jesus as the son of God. She didn't know any of that stuff. But here's how she responded when she got this message from the angel. She said to him, I am the Lord's servant, right? That's just Mary's way of kneeling down and saying, you know what? I'm God's servant. May it be to me exactly as you have said. Mary just is saying, you know what? My, my parents have had an agenda for my life. I've had an agenda for my life. My fiance has an agenda for my life. I'm giving all of that up now, God. Do whatever you want to do. Now, I don't know what you've been told about faith and a lot of different views of faith out there. Maybe you've been taught that faith is what moves God. And if you have enough faith, you can get God to do anything that you want. It's just a matter of having enough faith. That's not biblical faith. 
Biblical faith is a faith, it's something that, that God puts inside of us. Don't know how he does it? A little seed of faith that he gives to us. And if we'll take that, that seed of faith and if we'll exercise it, it's kind of like a, a muscle. If we'll exercise it and if we'll say, you know what, God, I'm going to take the little faith that I have and I'm going to trust you. I'm going to give the, the, the little faith that I have, I'm going to trust what Jesus did on the cross and I'm going to trust you with my life and trust you with my plans. And when things don't go right, I'm going to trust you with that. And when a relationship doesn't go quite the way I planned, I'm going to trust you with that. And when my job doesn't go the way I planned, I'm going to trust you with that. I'm going to trust you with my marriage and trust you with my finances and, and trust you with my health and my education. See, faith says what Mary says, I am your servant. May it be done to me, God, as you have said, as you have planned. Now, I, I, I don't know um, what's going on in, in your life this year or month or, or week or what you face, but as I thought about the sermon and, and how people might connect with it, there were kind of two general responses that I thought people might have. And maybe you're in this first group today. Maybe you're here this morning and you've kind of realized that that. You've been living your life. You've been following your story and, you know, trying to fit everything in where you want it to go and figure out how the pieces work. And then God's got his story and God's doing his thing. And you've never taken your little story and given it to God and just surrendered it to him. And I believe if that's you, that you are not here this morning by accident. Don't believe in coincidence. God brought you here this morning for a reason. He wants you to know that he loves you And he wants you to know that he's done something about your sin. And God is reaching out to you this morning. He's right here, right now. And you can give your life to Jesus Christ. It's the the great switch, if you will. It's where you get to give Christ all of your sin. And he died for that. He paid for that. And you get his righteousness with God. And when God sees you, he sees the perfection of Jesus Christ. Oh, he knows you're a mess. He knows you have issues, but legally he sees you as he sees his son. And now you get to spend eternity with him in heaven. And not only that, but now your story gets to be that which God is intimately involved in. And if you've never made that commitment to Christ this morning, I want to pray for you in a minute. But it may be that there are some people here who have, you know, you did that at some point in the past. You gave your story to God, but you've had some challenges this year or this month or, or this week or this morning. And maybe there's just a little piece of your story that you've really been wrestling with. And maybe as I've been talking this morning, you, you've been thinking about that. Maybe the Holy Spirit's put it on your heart. Maybe you've been handed something that, that you were not planning for and that, quite frankly, you just didn't want. Maybe it's a relational thing or vocational or a health thing that you're dealing with right now or maybe you've lost someone or it's financial and you're kind of wondering with that thing. God, I don't really know what this is and and I don't know why I'm going through it and I don't know how it fits into my, my story and you're finding it hard to trust God with that thing. But this morning, imagine just taking a moment and saying to God what Mary said. Don't know how it's gonna work out, God, Don't have all the details yet, but may it be done to me as you have said. What a great way, I think, to move into Christmas, to be able to surrender ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to uh, pray. I want to pray for you, and then I'm going to just share with you as we close a song um, I wrote years ago, just kind of talking about that 
whole idea of what if we could be uh, with Jesus? What if we could have lived back then and been at that, at that manger scene? Will you pray with me?